0: They're not speaking by themselves. They're really not. They're speaking to you out of the Lord. Because the Lord is in His body. We've been in that for some some weeks and uh, going a little bit further, Lord willing, today. That John saw Him in the seven golden candlesticks. And so the, the voice that's in the body of Christ is the voice of the Lord. That's the voice that's in the body of Christ. And when your heart turns to the Lord, I guarantee you you'll see Him. I guarantee you that. I ain't telling you with natural eyes, but eyes of thine understanding, you'll be enlightened in the knowledge of him, into the very presence of his being. And sometimes turning to the Lord requires turning away from what you've been taught. I don't know if that ain't the biggest turn you'll make. I really, you know, I know there's a lot of things you'll turn from. There's a lot of things of our flesh, a lot of things of the natural. But turning to the Lord is turning from everything you think and saying, Lord, You are my teacher. You are my substance in my life. You are who I'm after. And when you start that place and God begins to reveal Himself, You'll come to a glorious place. A place of glory. And sometimes, you you know, I, I, I said to my, one of my sons yesterday, maybe both of them, I said at times I feel like I'm just floating in the air. I can't describe to you in words the reality of the presence of God that I dwell in. At times. And the the reality is there, it's there all the time to be had. And it's a turning of the heart. What does it say? Turn the heart. He already did all the work. He already broke down the veil. He already took the carnal mind out of the way. He already took everything that would stop you from enjoying God. He already took it all. Isaiah 53 is one of the most phenomenal passages of Scripture in your Bible. That laid on Him is the sins and iniquities of us all. That He's chastised for our peace. So the whole sin of the world is laid up on Him. So no sin that you have No condition in your body, nothing in your mind, nothing prevents you but you to turn to the Lord. Nothing. Because He took it all. And see, that's that's what salvation is. Jesus took it all. And being saved is coming to His life. That's, That's... what salvation is. See, see, church people have have tried to teach salvation as doing good works. The law taught that. You start, Has anybody read the law of Moses? It taught you good works. But it never taught you the life of Christ. And see, salvation is beyond just your good works. It's moving into his life. Now, in his life, there's a fruit of his life. And in the fruit of his life are good works because they're his. So I'm not doing away with good works. I'm not doing away with righteous living. I'm not doing away with the call to holiness. I'm telling you there's a greater call of holiness than what you can produce. There's a greater expectation of the Father than what you can produce of yourself. There's a much greater yearning in the heart of God than what we in ourselves can produce. But the yearning in the heart of God is for it to come out of you each and every one of you. He's yearning to bring forth His very own life. His very own Son. See, a Son in the natural comes out of your life, out of your substance. doesn't. So in, in the spiritual realm, It comes out of the very substance of God, and God has birthed His Son in you. That's salvation. That's what it is: is living in the divine presence of God. That's salvation. I. I was thinking yesterday in John 14, it had come to my mind I was writing on Facebook uh, 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 a little nugget of revelation on spirit and truth. And as I was writing it, what came before me was Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the lie. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I'm going to talk about a concept here. And we're going to get into the book of Revelation in a moment. So I've not stopped there, but I've got a couple of things I want to share with you as before we go in there. And in, to put this in, in perspective, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but me. In Jesus' day in the earth, how did they come to God? Let's, let's think about it for a moment. I know what we think when we read that verse of scripture what's kind of been put in our minds, programmed us to think, is some by through Jesus, someday we get unto God. But when you go back into your Bible, and that's where I'm always going to take you, is back into your Bible, is the Jewish people, the Israelites, how did they approach God? I will enter his court. You you know we sing the song I will enter His courts with thanksgiving in the mouth. I'll enter His courts with praise. We sing that song. But to the Israelites, that had a whole different meaning to it because they were bringing a sacrifice to the high priest. And they were entering literal courts. Okay? And those literal courts were around the tabernacle and later the temple of God. So to the, to the Jewish person or the Israelite, when Jesus was saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the lie, He was saying to them, your high priest is no good anymore. Your animal sacrifice won't get it done. Because to, to the Israelite people, the way they entered into the presence of God was they took a lamb, and they slayed that lamb and, and in that building they, they you know until it, well the first temple was standing, God's presence was there. Was it a way two miles or ten miles or 500 miles up in the sky, it was there in the temple of God. So they entered into. His presence to the measure they could at that time. But Jesus comes on and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way into the divine presence of God. And in that same chapter of your Bible, in that same uh, conversation, He speaks of the Holy Spirit coming and He says that that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That's the very divine presence of God. That He broke a veil down that a people no longer comes And God's presence is on the outside. But now a people comes and enters into the presence of God. That's where we're called to live. That's the calling that's in your heart that you live in the divine presence of the Lord. That's his mind, his will, his desire, is that you live there. And see, minds are set for someday. That's how we've been programmed to think someday it'll get better. Someday. Well, someday is the day of the Lord. That's, that's what we don't hear is someday is the, what we don't get a hold of is do we understand that the prophets of old did not have the divine continual dwelling of the Lord? Do we not know that? You know the Spirit of God would come up on them, but he didn't stay. Now we've come to a day where the divine presence of the Lord is in you. And you are in the divine presence of the Lord. That's what salvation is. I'll draw out of Isaiah says the wells of salvation. And what did Jesus do? he come and set on a well. And the woman met him on Jacob's well, and she says, Hey, are you greater than our father Jacob? (laughs) And yes, he is, because that well of salvation that Isaiah prophesied of in John chapter 4 was sitting in Samaria, and and he says that no longer will you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem, but you'll worship in Spirit and truth, and He's the way. He's where you draw out of the well of the divine presence of God. And that's what we're in right now is His presence. I, I, I I hear Brother Henry so often in my mind singing that song, In Thy Presence, O Lord, his fullness of joy. And the reason he sings that is it's real to him. See, see there's, a, there's a place in God that's real. And people are hungry for God to do something. They're all over there, hungry for God to do something. And he has. And it's entering into it. It's it's us entering in, allowing the Lord to bring us there, casting down imaginations of our mind, casting down the high thought of our mind, and coming into the very presence of the Lord. That was that. That stuck out at me in Revelation chapter one. Go there, and we. I won't read every verse of scripture this morning, but Revelation chapter one. Just a recap as we move forward. He says, and we've read one through eight for a while, so I'll I'll stick with seven and eight, and then. Verse seven says, "Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall well because of him." Even so, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is. Everybody read that, which is. So, so the first thing he address John with there is I am. I am present. And for years, myself, would look over this scripture that he is. And I would look to, not which was, but I would look to and which is to come, the Almighty. And my mind would get caught up on that portion of the scripture that He is to come, and the reality of of what He says that He is would get lost. I wouldn't. I would. I would hardly consider He is, but I would set my mind on He is to come, and I would probably imagine in my mind what that meant. Okay? And I can tell you what I thought it meant. Okay? Where we get songs, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Problem with that song is Paul said, you are dead. And your life is here with Christ and God. So if you are dead, this life is over at the cross. So so that's a problem that's inside of that song. Got a great tune? Make you real happy? But there's a problem with the Word of God. It It doesn't go together with God's Word. With Paul saying, it's no longer I that liveth. So, so what happened to I? I died. But it's Christ who liveth in me. And so so we're saying out of our mouths almost opposite of the word of God. We don't even know it. So we just go on with, with the projection of some glad morning. The glad morning or the glad day was when Jesus died at the cross. And see, that was the day He gathered all things unto Himself in heaven and earth. He brought every man to Himself and died. That those who live would no longer live by themselves but unto Him who died for them and rose from the dead. So your life would be in Him that rose from the dead and not yourself. And when Apostle John begins this great revelation, this great work of the book of Revelation, he has an encounter with Him that is. And I'm going to move into that, that he is to come a little bit this morning. But I want your mind to really look at that John sees him that is, he turned to see the voice, let's talk about verse 12, he turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. So he heard the voice. And it wasn't, it, John didn't say he was reading the Bible. Here's what people do today. And I totally believe in the, in the Bible. So nobody get me wrong. People believe how you hear God's voice is just by reading the Bible. John said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind him a great, loud voice. And he turned to see the voice. And being turned, he saw. We can preach that for years. He saw seven golden candlesticks, one, and in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, he saw one like Who? Son of Man. Who, who called himself the Son of Man in your Bible? Jesus. But how he sees him, he sees him clothed with a garment down his foot. He sees him as the great high priest. The Melchizedek priesthood. And he sees him gird about the pouch or the chest with a golden girdle, with the breastplate, with a golden breastplate. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as stone. And his eyes as a flame of fire. And his feet like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had... In his right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun, that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell. How did? He, what happened to him? I fell at his feet, as dead. Why? Because when he died, I died. And and John saw this. And he laid his right hand, his power, his spirit, his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, now, if I stop here and think, and this is what I have to do sometimes, just stop and think. Jesus says, I believe it's Matthew 16, and we've looked at this two or three times. He said, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming in the glory of His Father. Well, if I study the Old Testament... And I study Ezekiel. Ezekiel sees a cloud coming, and you know John says, "Behold, he comes with clouds." And, he's, and Ezekiel finds in the cloud a son of man. Ezekiel chapter one. You don't even have to read all the book to find it. Just read the first chapter. And he sees one in the cloud, and he has fire from his loins. His appearance was as fire, and his loins down, and his loins up. And he calls that appearance the glory of the Lord. How many believe the Lord of the Old Testament was Jesus' Father? I do. So, if that's true, here Jesus is on the, in the seven golden candlesticks, in the glory of the Lord. And remember what I said in Matthew 16, He was going to come with His angels. Who's He with here in in, in Revelation? The stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Whoa, what does that mean? Well, why don't we ask the Lord? So, so the angel is a messenger. He is giving a message. The angels can probably also be called, and a lot of brothers do this, they call them the pastors of those churches. Because the angelic message is a heavenly message. Well, if you're speaking out of the Spirit of God, guess what? You're speaking a heavenly message. If you're speaking out of the carnal man, you're speaking an earthly message. It's that simple. So to be heavenly is simply to be spiritual. John 3 will actually tell you this if you read it close. But but for time's sake, I'm going to move on. So He is, and and last week we dealt a lot with He is, and I believe in the coming weeks we're going to deal more with He is and even this description, because this description of Him is in the seven churches of Asia. Well, I believe that same description of Him is in the churches today. I believe that. And I believe if we allow the Lord, he'll show us that. Now, John says he is to come. Now, what we do with John's writing is John said the time is at hand up in the beginning of the book. Right then. What we do with John's writing is we project it way out in the future. Not what John wrote, but that's what we do. John said the time is at hand. In other words, it's coming right now. So John was seeing something that was ready to come, why he was alive, and it even goes with the scripture in John. I believe it's John twenty, and it says Jesus tells. I believe it's Peter, what if he is here when when I come? Well, here John realizes he is here when he comes because he sees the Son of Man in the seven golden gator sticks, and he's also seeing the vision of what's coming upon the earth. Now, now. This is the part of Scripture I want you to pay particular attention to. Behold, he come up with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, Amen. We interpret this as all the globe, don't we? That what John is saying is all the globe is going to see. We'll read this same. Verse of Scripture out of the American Center verse. Behold, he come up with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they that pierced him. Now, who pierced him? The Jews. Well, the Romans, but the Jews. That's who had him crucified. And all the tribes of the earth. This word kindred, can be interpreted, kindred. I've looked up the definition of it. But guess what? It can also be interpreted. Tribes. Who had tribes? Israel. How many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve. So all the tribes of the earth shall wail because of him. Amen. And Zechariah, Zechariah prophesies this very thing, and he's prophesying to the children of Israel, to Jerusalem, I believe. But just to substantiate the earth here, because because when we see this, a lot of times we we think he's talking about the entire globe. Turn with me to... Oh my, let me get up at the top of my, my notes Verse Matthew 2 and 6. Matthew 2 and 6. And thou, Bethlehem, land of Judah, this word land here, I believe lo and behold is the same word that's interpreted as earth in Revelation chapter 1. Land of Judah are in no wise least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come forth a governor who shall be shepherd of my people Israel. So the land, the earth of Judah. Matthew 2.6, if you look up the Greek word here, in Matthew 2.6, I believe you're going to find out it's the same Greek word that's used in the book of Revelation. And here they interpret that word, land, and it's the primary word for soil by extension, a region, the solid part of, or the whole of the terrain globe, including occupants in each application. Country, earth, ground, land, world. So it can be interpreted the entire globe, or it can be interpreted a region. Okay? And our minds automatically read things, and we, and we, you know, I know I did, I read that, that every eye would see Him, and people would come up and tell you how they were going to see Him, And they would tell you, well, they're going to see Him through the TV set. That's what people used to say. That's how every eye is going to see Him. That would be a very poor way of seeing Jesus. Right? I believe the word is actually a little different. 1095 and 1093. I just looked them both up. But they correlate together and and so you have a seeing of the Lord that we're looking to see the Lord with these eyes. How many is looking to see Him with your natural eyes? It says every eye shall see Him. doesn't say your eyes. It says every eye shall see Him. All right. So having said that, much of your Bible, when it's dealing with earth, in your Bible, it doesn't necessarily deal with the entire globe. Now we think it does. It's like Luke chapter 2. I've used this before to show you. Luke 2. It says in Luke 2, Verse 1, so you don't have to go very far. Luke 2 verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now if I study history, I believe you will find out that Caesar Augustus actually did not have control of the entire globe. I believe you'll find that out. But he had control of the Jewish world. Did he? They were under Roman control. So, when I read these verses of Scripture dealing with, with the tribes of the earth, I believe in your Bible there's only one group of people, and I mentioned this already, I believe there's only one group of people in your Bible called Tribes. And that was the Israelites. They were the tribes. So what was the big deal in John's day? This is where you have to become a Bible student. And sometimes we don't want to. But if you want to understand things, that's what you have to do. In John, when Jesus, we said this last week I believe, when Jesus was born, what were they under? Were they under the new covenant or the old? He was born under the old covenant, so the old covenant was still enforced when he was born a babe in a manger. What else was going on when he was born? He was under, they were under captivity of the Romans. And they had a king called Herod who, from what I've read, may have not even been a Jew. Now, is that working in in the order of the Israelites? I'm going to give you a hint. No. So everything wasn't hunky-dory when Jesus came on the scene in Jerusalem. So they were under the law. But evidently, according to some of the things Jesus said to them, he said to them he said, you, he told them in one place that you're, you're uh, doing the customs of men. In other words, you, you know if I think on that a little bit, they may not have even been applying the Mosaic law in places, but the customs of men. And I, and I don't have the scriptures together, but the one comes before me about the altar and the sacrifice when he's dealing with them about the altar and the sacrifice and their offering and how they had placed certain things of more value than others. In other words, they had placed the things of man more valuable than the things of God. And that was going on in Israel and Jerusalem in that day. So here comes Jesus on the scene and they're still in that old covenant. So that old covenant... God's Word and that Old Covenant had to be fulfilled. So if I don't know the Old Covenant, I probably ain't going to get a hold of what Brother John is actually talking about. Because God, if I flip back to Deuteronomy 28, and for time's sake I won't read all of Deuteronomy 28 because it's a long chapter, But if I flip back there and read it, he starts telling them that if they hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord, they're going to be blessed. And he starts telling them all the blessings that are going to come upon them. And he's going to bless them every which way but loose. They're blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. Then, he comes on down here at I'm just going to read you verse 45, but somewhere in that chapter he goes to the opposite side. and says, if you don't hearken to my voice, you're going to be cursed. And what, what do you find in the book of Revelation? You find a bunch of plagues getting poured out. And these plagues, I believe, will coincide with Deuteronomy with what God established in a covenant relationship with Israel. So He tells them you're going to get cursed. And in verse 45, He says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed. Because, why? You did not hearken not unto the voice of the Lord thy God, keep His commandments and statutes which He commanded thee, and they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send. So who's going to send the enemies? He is. And He's going to send them against them in hunger and thirst and nakedness and one of all things. And He shall... And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that God says this here. And then Daniel, I believe it is, sees a beast as iron. See, see, these things aren't coincidental. But if I don't study my Bible, I don't know they're in there. And, and where I'm going to try to figure out what John is talking about is ABC and NBC and CBS and CNN and Fox News. And I'm going to tell you they're all wrong. And a lot of the preachers are going to preach to you that, John, that John's talking about Fox News. I'm going to tell you they're wrong. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's the way the Lord did it. Line up on line. Line up on line, in the book of Isaiah, he said, here a little and there a little. So the Scripture interprets the Scripture. So so cloud comings in your Bible were, were primarily two things. And one cloud coming was the feeling of God, feeling the temple. It was the glory of God. Now, they both were the glory of God. The other cloud comings in your Bible were judgment. So if I go read from Genesis to Malachi, I'll find cloud comings all over that Bible. But for some reason when I read read Jesus talking about cloud comings, I totally forget Genesis to Malachi. Like it's a separate book. Like it's been, you know, like He's talking out of something different. And what I don't see is that, that, that Moses declared of Jesus that God was going to raise up a prophet like unto His brethren in Deuteronomy, I believe it was 16, and He told them, He said, you better hear Him. He says, because if you don't hear Him, it's going to be required of you. Now who was God speaking that to? Who was He in covenant with? He's in covenant with Israel. And when that prophet raised up whose name was Jesus, who was the Son of God, who was God manifesting the flesh, what did the majority of Israel do? They rejected Him. So guess what? All these plagues that God had declared, everything God said was going to happen, was going to happen. To Israel, and so what we do with the Book of Revelation, we take it out of context of what who is, of what's going on in John's day. What's going on in John's day? He's under Roman captivity, and the Christians are being persecuted by the Jews. So the judgments of God are coming up on the old covenant Jews. Not saying judgments of God won't come up on you today. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm telling you that that's what was at hand was the end of the old system. It had already been done away at the cross and it was being ready to be taken right off the earth. And the problem in Christianity is, is preachers want to reestablish something God took away. Jesus said to the woman at the well that neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. And it doesn't take long if you turn on the TV. I hardly watch a TV preacher, but it didn't used to when I look at it, when I watch them, for them to start talking about God's going to build a temple in the Middle East. And I want to go, why? Jesus said that neither nor that now's the time when you will no longer worship God in Jerusalem. So why is God coming back to the Middle East to build a house when Jesus said He's that's, not? That's the question I, I would ask. I, I would ask some of the brothers, I would, I would really say, here's John 4. Explain John 4 to me. Jesus said a new day is at hand. And the new day that was at hand was Him. What was changing the day was him. No longer were you going to go into a temple to worship God. Now you were going to be the temple of God. That was the change of the order. God didn't dwell. Apostle Paul writes, Apostle Paul must have understood it too because he writes, God doesn't dwell in building his mail of hands. So again, if God's going to come and build a building in the Middle East to dwell in, why does Paul write and say he doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands? You ever thought of that? Well, Paul didn't write that. That's Luke. Forgive me. Paul said it. Have you ever, have you ever put one and one together? And the Apostle Paul said, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said. I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. And what does, what does John see Jesus doing? Dwelling in them and walking in the seven golden candlesticks. So the cloud, one of the pictures of the cloud that John saying, Behold, he's come of a cloud, and all the tribes of the earth shall well because there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of peep coming upon Israel. It was at their door. And you can go read the history book if you don't believe me. You go pick up your history books and go read them. It's documented in history that the Roman army came into Jerusalem and combusted about the city. And Jesus said, when you see the the city can pass about know that it's not even at the door. Jesus told them that. Well, I can go read history books and I can read where Rome actually did just that. And they burnt the city down. And according to history, the king that was in power then did not want to destroy the temple. He wanted to preserve it, from what I understand. But it got burnt down anyway. Now that's in history. That gets into something you can go actually look at and see. And then the Bible lines up with it, but yet most people preach this as a futuristic thing that's that's going to happen someday and most of God's people instead of enjoying the presence of the Lord right now, the fact that they are in Christ and Christ is in them, they're looking for someday. And it's hard to change that mentality. It's a very hard shift. It takes the Lord It takes the Lord Himself And it takes the heart turning to the Lord. And I can give you scripture upon scripture, and in fact I plan on doing just that because the scripture speaks loud. Turn with me to Matthew. Verse chapter twenty-one, verse thirty-three. And I cheat because I've got to write my notes. But turn there. Open your Bible and turn there. Matthew twenty one, verse thirty three. Jesus is speaking to the Jews. He's not in Gentile land at all at this time, time. He says, Here another parable. There was a man that was a householder who planted a vineyard. Matthew 21, 33. Bless you, Bob. Here another parable. There was a man that was a householder who planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a wine press in it. And he built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into another country. And when the season of the fruits drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen to receive his fruits. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them in like manner. Let me just stop you there. Has anybody ever read the story of the prophets? Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Kings of Israel weren't quite in love with them for the most part. I believe they they beat them, stoned them, put them in jail. So so if if I read this in thought of the prophets, good idea Jesus is speaking about that. Alright, so he goes on and he says, and he sent other servants more the first, and they did the same thing to him. But afterwards he sent unto them his son. So after he got done sending the prophets, he sent his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But the husbandmen, when they saw the son, said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. And they took him and cast him forth of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the Lord of that vineyard shall come, what will he do unto these husbandmen? They said unto him, He will miserably destroy those miserable men, and he will let out the vineyard unto other husbandmen, who shall render him the fruits in their season. Jesus saith unto them, did you never read the scripture? the stone which the builders rejected? The same was made the head of the corner. This was from the Lord, and it is marvelous in, the, in our eyes. Therefore say I unto thee, unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you, and shall be given to a nature bringing forth the fruits. There, a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And he that falleth on this stone shall be broken to pieces, but on whomsoever it shall fall it will scatter him as dust. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they perceived that he spake of them. And when they sought to lay hold on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. So he's telling the Pharisees and the priests, God's planted a vineyard. And well, if you go search your Bible in Isaiah, I don't have the chapter and verse in front of me. Actually, Isaiah Isaiah 5.1. He says, let me sing a song for my well-beloved. A song of my beloved touching his vineyard. He goes on down and tells you, verse 7, for the vineyard of Jehovah of hosts, or Lord of hosts, is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant, and he looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And then he says, woe to them. Woe to them. What do you find in the book of Revelation? You find woes. It goes together, folks. The Bible works together. So the cloud coming, one of the cloud comings here was the coming in Judgment. Well, Brother Wayne, I don't believe that. Joel 2. Blow ye a trumpet in Zion. Joel 2 verse 1. And sound an alarm in the holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of of the land tremble. What land is he talking about? Where's the holy mountain at? Jerusalem. Zion. And he says, let all the land of the... uh, the land trembled for the day of the Lord, for it is night at a hand a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So the day of the Lord is a day of clouds. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and strong there have not been ever the light, neither shall there be any more after it. So whenever this thing's fulfilled, it says it's not going to be anything like it again, even to the years of many generations. So evidently you know there's going to be many generations after this thing happens. a fire devoured before them and behind them a flame burneth the land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. So he's speaking to Israel here. He's speaking uh, to, to Judah because when you study your Bible, and I've said this multiple times, the country divided after Solomon's reign because of what? Solomon started worshiping false gods. What was Israel given to? They were given to idolatry over and over again. God calls them a harlot. God calls them an unfaithful wife. He speaks to Israel and Judah as harlot women. It's all through your Old Testament. And so, so the judgment of the harlot woman had come because finally God had sent His Son to them. And the Son had come and said, Behold, I am the Lamb of God, and I take away the sin of the world. And he that believeth on me shall not perish, but have." everlasting life. But he that doesn't believe on me is going to perish. And he's speaking to Judah. Judah, you're going to perish. If you don't jump into the ark, as in the days of Noah, so are the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What happened in the days of Noah? They were eating, drinking, giving, in marriage, he tells you. And then Noah entered into the ark and closed the door, and it was over. And Jesus told them, said, when you see the armies come in this city, get out. Because it's at the door. It's coming. It's right at the door. Luke 21, these are the days of vengeance. that comes right out of Isaiah 61. The days of the vengeance of the Lord, and it was coming upon apostate Israel, and all the judgments God had said was getting ready to be poured out. And that's a cloud coming of the Lord. In, in Micah, chapter, have to find it here. Micah, 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 1. First off in chapter 1 says, The word of Jehovah that came to Micah the Morshite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Who was Samaria? It was the capital of Israel. Who was Jerusalem? The capital of Judah. And then you go into Micah 3. Flip on over to chapter 3. He says, Hear this, I pray you, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, that abhor justice and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire. And the prophets thereof divine for money, yet they lean upon the Lord or upon Jehovah and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No evil shall come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house uh, as the high places of the forest. It's going to be plowed as a field. Now in one sense that was done with Nebuchadnezzar, but they built it back. And it was built back in troublous times, and Messiah came, and he was cut out, cut off, just like Daniel said in the middle of the week, and that week was a seven year period of time. Now that's, you know, I have to go through that one day. So right according to the to the prophets, these things happen, but sometimes we don't want to believe the scripture. We look for a projection. See, God was in the days of Jesus establishing a new covenant. Amen. That was what was happening. And in that new covenant, you weren't going to go to your brother and say, know the Lord for all with knowing from the least of the greatest. Why? Because God was going to dwell in you. See, what's better in the Old Covenant? Everything in the New is better than the Old. What's better of the New than the Old Covenant? Everything. But the the substance of the New Covenant is that Christ is in you. You've got it way better. He took your sin. That's where we started today. He took your iniquity. He took your judgment. Took it all. He took everything you had done. And he bore it upon himself. And he crucified it. And put it away. That now if I will turn to the Lord, I'll discover the Lord of my life. I'll discover, you know, the scripture that he's sticking closer than a brother will become. More real to me, because it's my life. It won't be a reality anymore of Jesus with me. It will be a reality of Jesus in me. That's what the New Covenant is. The veil of the temple when Jesus died on the cross. What happened to the veil of the temple? There was a great earthquake. What did Jesus say was going to happen in the days of coming of the Son of Man? Earthquakes. When the veil of the temple was rent, guess what happened? There was an earthquake and the veil was rent from the top to the bottom and that signified that that one thing, it signified that thing's no more, it's over. They could look in that veil and there was nothing there because they hadn't brought their ark back. After, after Nebuchadnezzar took it away, the ark never come back to that high priest and went behind that veil. There's no ark there. So what are they doing anyway? There's no Ark of the Covenant there it's to the best of my reading of the Bible in the Second Temple. So here it's cut. It's gone. But what it was speaking of too was now there's no more separation between God and man. That this offering created an access by the Spirit of God unto the Father. That lamb offering could never get it done. That goes right back to the beginning. I'm the way, the truth, and the lie. So now I have access. And instead of us going out and sharing that with the world, that man, you got access to God. A lot of what we call the gospel is not real good news. You know what the definition of gospel is? Good news. Well, here's what I grew up with. You better be good. You better watch out. Well, I wasn't going to go there. I thought of that, but He did it. But but I grew up with that, right? wasn't good news. You know, it was Jesus took my sins away, but then I better get straight. I didn't even know how. Yeah, I didn't want to. Now I want to. And the reason I want to isn't the same reason I wanted to before. There's a flip-flop happening in my heart. I wanted to before out of fear. Because I was afraid of what God was going to do to me. I wanted to live right because I was afraid God was going to kill me or God was going to take my life or I was going to burn in hell. I was afraid of. So I wanted to live right because I was afraid. Guess what? I want to live right now because I love Him. My heart flipped, And there's a desire in me of His life like never before. It's not just because I think he's going to kill me. It's because I love the Jesus I'm getting to know. And because I love him, I want to be a praise unto him. I want my walk in the earth to praise God. I want people to see Jesus when I walk into the storm. Because I love you. Because I'm in a relationship of love. Now, that's a different relationship. Now, if you told me 20-some years ago this is how it saw me, Brother Wayne, probably wouldn't have believed it. I read about the love of God. I didn't know the love of God. I could read about it, but I didn't know it. To imagine, I I'm tell you a full measure, but to imagine, I've come to know it. That he loved me. He died for me. You know, the first the first part of the salvation you know is Jesus died for you. Then you come to knowing that he died as you then you come to a knowing that He's your life. And you come to a knowing that God is satisfied. And God is satisfied because Christ is your life and Christ is being formed in you. He's not satisfied because of our works. He's satisfied because of His works. And we come into His works and then lo and behold He brings you into another and I'm about to stop this morning. He brings you into another measure, because God just keeps measuring it out, and he brings you to a measure where His very works get formed in you, and you be, and you see them. I remember a number of years ago, Sister Sheila, I, I uh, woke up like I woke up one day, and and I just thought to myself. Yeah, I forgive Now that I don't get mad, I, I still have some anger issues. So Lord can take care of For nobody else ask, I do But I woke up one day and I went, that wasn't me. That wasn't my nature, what, is what I'm trying to say. I didn't just become this great person that I could forgive people it was, it's the divine nature is actually being formed, just like Paul said, and I'm seeing it. Christ formed in you. I'm seeing a measure of who he is. Then I realize, man, I really love my wife. Really do. I really love my children. I want to take care of them. I want to nurture them. I want to, to care, you, you know, to provide for them. I realized I love His body. And again, I realized this this thing that's in me isn't that Brother Wayne was somehow some special saint and had just this great person. This thing that's in me is called Jesus. And Jesus started becoming real in my life. Now, he can get real or sealed. There's, there's areas of my life that, that he can sure take that sword of the Word of God and deal with. And there is in your life, and I'm going to be honest with you, that's part of the judgment that John sees in the book of Revelation, is he begins to deal with them for more of this coming. He begins to deal with them for the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. Well, if he talks about the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, you think we might should know what that is? Probably so. Right? There's a good possibility we should understand it. And so in the coming weeks, Lord willing, we're going to look look at, at him in the church. And he's coming in the church, and we'll probably do another lesson on coming. Well, you can turn this off now. We'll probably do one more on coming and judgment.